Breitbart News Daily. Thanks for being here. I want to play the first segment of the second hour today. Uh, I'm not happy with the way I presented this. I wish I did better. If I could do it again, I think I could do better. It's a Part of it is a frustration of mine that I, I, I can't articulate this like I want to. I can't articulate how bad I think this is in a way that matches how bad I think it is. <laughs> you know what I mean? So uh, I'm just very frustrated at that. But I, I'm, I'm thinking of some guests that I want to ask to come on who are, who are more articulate than me about it. But it's about Apple Vision Pro coming out on Friday and then Neuralink now being successfully implanted into someone's brain. Fortunately, after my intro to this topic, we had some spectacular phone calls. Because I, and, and another one of my frustrations is I don't know how alone, I feel very lonely on this topic. I feel very alone uh, that this is a bad thing. So it's good to hear other people say it is too. But I don't know, maybe you don't. Maybe, oh, Slater, you're exaggerating. This hour, I want to talk, or this segment, I want to talk about Apple Vision Pro and Neuralink. We have two technologies that are happening right now that are both uh, going to destroy humanity. Is all. No big deal. Let's start first with Neuralink. So uh, Apple Vision Pro, by the way, comes out on Friday. So Neuralink, though, and we'll weave these two things together. Elon Musk announced yesterday that they just put the first computer chip into someone's brain now quick thing on elon musk a, war, a word of warning about elon musk elon musk is great with freedom of speech he's great with a couple other issues that conservatives uh, and elon agree on uh, like he's, he's really against the open borders awesome he's really great at shooting rockets into space and then having the rocket land perfectly back upright on a barge in the middle of the ocean <laughs> like that that seems impossible and he can do that like that's great he's awesome at that way better than me at that but i'd be very wary at hitching your bandwagon to the elon musk train if if i may for lots of reasons he said the first human received an implant from Neuralink yesterday and is recovering well. Initial results show promising neuron spike detention. So here's his uh, thought process. He says the only, Elon said a couple years ago, the only thing holding back technological progress at this point is the speed of the human thumb. They could make iPhones a thousand times faster than they do right now but our thumbs can only move so fast. You can only text so quickly. You can only, uh, you know, whatever, scroll through apps so fast. Like you can only move so, you, you can only move so fast. So his idea is to bypass the thumbs completely and just put the phone directly into your brain. So you can think something and it gets sent to someone else's brain. I think he said 
that uh, there's another tweet he said that the first product from Neuralink is called like telepathy or something like that, right? Like the idea is you just think it and it gets sent. Now, it'll do that, but it's also going to be pitched as, oh, it'll help paralyzed people walk again. It'll help people with dementia and all these other things to get their foot in the door. But um, it's really so you don't have to text anymore. <laughs> That's right. And so think about like you're instead of taking out your phone ugh, and having to oh messages wife where's wife hey honey period home in 20 uh, autocorrect uh, home in 20 minutes you can just think it and it gets sent to her brain and that's it and people think it's great <laughs> and that's what i want to talk about here because i i don't have my finger on the pulse of the conservative movement when it comes to this issue. I couldn't be more appalled at all of it. But I don't know. Maybe I'm weird. Uh, here, here are my problems with Neuralink, and then we'll get to Apple Vision Pro. The obvious problem, I think, is that if you're connected to the Internet, then the Internet is connected to you. And if you're connected to the Internet and the internet's connected to you, how will you be able to separate your thoughts from the internet's? And then the big question is, who controls the internet? And who determines what's true on the internet? Of course, this is going to be pitched as making us infinitely smarter. You're just connected to the matrix. Isn't that a scene in The Matrix? I haven't seen The Matrix in 30 years, but isn't this scene from The Matrix where he doesn't know how to fly a helicopter? Then he, like, presses a button, and now he can, like, learn how to fly, like, right, right? So it's going to be pitched like that. But I'm certain it will make us infinitely dumber. I mean, how, how like, the, so, like, the internet so far, has the internet, has the internet made us smarter or dumber right now? Just do, let's do an assessment on that. 1984, George Orwell, uh, Big Brother, invents Newspeak. And he, they invented in the name of uh, getting rid of nuance and ambiguity. And honestly, it's done in the name of speed. <laughs> just like just like Elon Musk's thing, right? We've got to go faster. And let's get rid of nuance. Let's get rid of amb ambiguity. So everything is uh, good or bad. And then there's plus good and plus bad and double plus good and double plus bad. And that's it. And it makes things so much easier. Oh, so much faster. Who is like, there's all these like words out there. Let's just like get rid of that and make it simpler for everyone to understand. And things were easier and things will be easier with Neuralink, but at what cost? In 1984, it was at the cost of thinking. And the famous quote from George Orwell is, don't you see that the whole aim of Newspeak is to narrow the range of thought? In the end, we shall make thought crime literally impossible because there will be no words in which to express it. And I'm certain that Neuralink will be pitched as a way to expand our minds, but I'm certain that it will suppress our minds with a computer chip directly implanted into your brain. Uh, every once in a while, I'll go to chat GPT you know, ChatGPT, it's like the like the public's version of, of artificial intelligence or whatever. 
I almost always go, I'm looking for a quote. There's like some quote I know, but I'm like close. And I can't quite think of it exactly. And I'll Google it. But like Google, does, it doesn't pop up on Google. So I'm like, oh, maybe I'll go to ChatGPT. And it like never finds it. Like ChatGPT never finds the quote I'm looking for. Uh, my limited experience with ChatGDP is that it's, it's very limiting. And I just think if we're all connected to it through our brain, like that'll be it. Like how will you be like right now, if you Google something and a bunch of results pop up, I mean, there's only 10, right? But like the first 10, but like, if you look at those 10, at least you can like filter through them. You can fill in like, Oh, that's, that's going to be biased or that's not right. Or okay, let me take these three and I'll kind of put them together. But if you're just connected to the internet and there's only one permitted truth that gets shot to your brain, like that's it. Like that sounds horrible. <laughs> you, you couldn't come up with a more dystopian world than that. So for the record, I'm against putting a computer chip in your brain. <laughs> I don't, if we need to, I don't know if that's like a hot take or something. But by the way, people will line up all around the block to get this thing done. And the proof of that is the stepping stone before that, which is the Apple Vision Pro. So the Apple Vision Pro comes out on uh, Friday. You can buy this thing. It is amazing to me that everyone, everyone knows the problems that have come with the smartphones. We've all felt the effects of the smartphone. We've all seen and know how it hurts marriages. We've all lamented when you go out to eat and you see a couple or you see a father-daughter or a family or friends. Everyone's at the table and everyone's on their phone. Like We know that. We've lived that. We see how cell phones are messed up kids. We know we, we've lived through this massive experiment where we just threw this new thing on our kids as guinea pigs. And it's been all bad. It's all bad. It's not even close. Like if you do the pros and cons list, it's, it's not, it's overwhelmingly bad for kids and adults. And, and we all know it. We have, well, there's now uh, school, school districts that are banning cell phones. Uh, there's countries that are banning cell phones. All of England as banned cell phones in school. Like, and we can, we can fill out the phones right now with teachers who will talk about how terrible cell phones have been to the education learning process. We all know this. Everyone's on board with this now. We're all caught up in this. And, and then we're like, oh, I can't wait for the Apple Vision Pro to come out. I can't, I can't wait to take, look at that. If you're watching on the TV right now on the first TV, you can see these commercials. Were. Like that looks, that, that's the commercial for Apple Vision Pro, which is meant to sell this thing. And I look at that and I find that horrifying. It's, it's, it's all the problems with the phone, but then you just strap it right to your face. You strap it right over your eyes. And you're like, no, this is just meth. If you are already addicted to your cell phones, imagine this. So the Apple Vision Pro, if you're not caught up here, it's, it's their VR goggles from, from Apple. And you just put them on your face, and it looks like a, like a space, spaceship. I guess they're like big ski goggles kind of. Thing. And it's like, it's like you're, if you watch TV, it's like you're watching it on a 100-foot screen. And the TV's just floating in front of you, so you just like sit on your couch and the TV's in front. And you have your desktop, you have your desktop computer, and it's like all around you. Like all the screens are all around you everywhere, right? And I don't know what else I'm doing. Um, 
but you watch the commercial and the people have it on and they're just like like moving aimlessly around like like so you know your kids when they got their head in the phone and they're like zombies right do you know there's there's the, the re- there's reason there's so many traffic fatalities now is because people are walking across the street while texting they don't even look up right so just imagine how much worse it's going to be when everyone's just wearing these goggles everywhere and people meandering around the house with these goggles i guess they won't even meander they'll just stay in one spot with these goggles on like uh, i just look at this i'm like oh that's horrible that is such a massive disconnect from real life that's such a massive disconnect from humanity and it'll be so prevalent (laughs) these things are going to be so popular these these are they're going to be everywhere it's going to be very normal. You're, you're going to very soon. I mean, they come out on Friday. So very soon. And they're pretty expensive now. They're 3500 bucks. Very expensive. 3500 bucks right now. Um, but they'll get cheaper. And so pretty soon, you are going to go to someone's house. And the kids are going to be in the living room or whatever with these goggles on. And and I hope it's, I hope it's horrifying to your soul. I hope you look at that and you're like, oh, this is really bad. But people are going to give it to their kids and it's going to ruin their lives. And we'll just be like, well, whatever. They were already addicted to their phones anyway. <laughs> like, oh, like, well, they're already addicted to marijuana. Might as well just give them some meth, whatever. Super Bowl is coming up in two weeks, right? Like, forget there'll be, there'll be no more Super Bowl parties like that. Like, that's the end of it. Because now from now on, everyone watching sports is just going to put these goggles on and it'll be like you're at the 50 yard line. So there'll just be no more connection with fellow humans. And I think this is horrible. Uh, Producer Zach, you can say it out loud, Producer Zach. Oh, yeah. Producer Zach uh, started smoking yesterday. It sounds horrible. Uh, Producer Zach texted, how are these Apple Vision Pro goggles any different than VR goggles from Sony and Facebook and Meta there? Uh, nothing other than they're just Apple version and they're going to be more popular and marketed better and more people will buy them and that's it. Um, I don't know if they're any, like technically any different. I don't think so. They'll just be out there more, more people will do it. Once you put them on, you can never go back to real life. Like, like if you, when you put on these VR headsets from the comfort of your own home and, uh, you're sitting on the 50 yard line. You'll never go to a football game. Why would you ever go to a football game? Just do it from your house. Like everything will just be VR. Everything. And now you give it to a 12-year-old? I, I just, I just. Now we can also, this kid's in the car. You may want to turn the radio down for a couple seconds. There's also, like, like these will, so pornography already has a devastating effect on marriages as it is. Now you do virtual reality version of that you kidding me here here's the and then now you do that to a 12 year old here's the problem with these apple vision pro they're so good it's good like it's it's unbelievable like sitting on the 50 yard line at the super bowl it'll be amazing that's the problem with them maybe maybe that's why they're better than sony and, and facebook's version is they're so good that you'll be, everyone will be addicted to them. And that's it. The kids, we, just the last week, the kids and I, we've made this major push to work on eye contact. But once kids throw on these Apple Vision Pros and live in the metaverse, they'll, they'll never look at another human being again. 
So I'm very much against this. But anyway, this is just uh, that's a stepping stone towards just the Neuralink itself. And people are going to line up around the block to get the computer chip in their brain. So if you would like to vow with me to not ever put the Apple Vision Pro around your face, uh, I'd, I'd love for you to join me because that's the problem. Again, it's so good. If you do it, once you do it, there's no going back. Once you do it, you're, you're out. Everything else in real life will seem so uh, unsatisfying. It's very dangerous. It's very dangerous. It's like any other drug. It'll be a drug. It, it's not, and you're like, oh, I don't know, Slater. Um, I, I'm fine with my phone. It's like, first of all, you're not. Like, we're all very addicted. And Elon Musk knows this. Elon Musk said we're already part cyborg. We're already connected to our phone. Why not just put it in your brain? So Apple Vision Pro is bad. Neuralink's, <laughs> Neuralink's way worse. Because at least Apple Vision Pro, you could take it off. Neuralink, once it's in your brain, it's in your brain. All right, so let's go to the next level. 866-95-PATRIOT. 866-95-PATRIOT. If you would like to join me. Or listen, if you want to tell me, Slater, you're over-exaggerating. It's, uh, you're exa can you over-exaggerate? You're exaggerating. Uh, it's fine. It's no big deal. Don't worry about it. Okay. Uh, there is a, uh, I don't call it a movement, although maybe, because there's a lot of money behind it. It's called the, uh, transhumanism. So transhumanism is uh, this idea that we can transcend our bodies. Brian Johnson is one of the leaders of the transhumanist movement. He's a billionaire. Uh, he's 46. He takes 100 pills a day. He gets plasma transfusions. He just, he's, uh, he's, tr he's trying to live forever. That's his goal. He wants to live forever. There's, so there's two forms of transhumanism, I should say. You have the Elon Musk route is that your consciousness can live on in a computer forever. So, uh, so my dad died 10 years ago. So if he, if there was enough data on my dad, then he could live in a computer and I could like text him. I could text my dad and my dad would answer back in the way that my dad would answer that kind of thing right so so like you your consciousness and like my dad depends on good the ai gets like wouldn't even know he's not real right like like so you you would think you are living forever which is pretty trippy too but all right so that's that's like one form of this transhumanism thing is that that's how you you live on forever. but then there's the other form of transhumanism where these people are literally trying to live forever um so here's this guy this is brian johnson uh, I hope, I hope when you hear this, it, you get chills. That's like the idea, but I don't know, maybe not. We're right now in a moment, like the last moment where like things kind of have been how they have been, but they're about to change radically. And in this new future, we can't predict what's going to happen. We no longer have the ability. And so we're living in a zeroth world. And so Gen Zero is a group of multi-ethnic, multinational people who rise up and they say, we are willing to courageously step into the future and we're willing to divorce or open to divorce from ourselves all human norms, all human customs, all human thought 
and we're willing to say we're wide open about everything. Absolute blank slate. That's amazing. All right. So this is a new form because technology is so much better now. This is a new form of uh, year zero. So all the all these Marxists have done it. Pol, Pol Pot did it. It's a French Revolution did it. They do this year zero. So the idea is we're going to start from scratch. Everything from the past is evil. We just got to start over. And of course, it always involves genocide because you got to get rid of the people who still believe the things that existed before year zero. They may still think those things are good, so they just have to be killed. It always has genocide as a part of it. This guy is able now, with technology, we're able to take it a step further. So now we can have generation zero, where we start over blank slate, but here's what's different. They put a com- computer chip in your brain. Listen, I'm not making this up. This, I like, there's, <laughs> we have a lot of stuff to talk about today. There's, I, I'm not like, hey, you know what? What if one day someone puts a computer, like I'm not like Elon Musk yesterday put a computer chip in a human being's brain to take over their brain. Like I'm not, this isn't out of nowhere here. We have billionaires in Silicon Valley spending all their money on this technology. This is a real thing. And here's this guy. It's one of the main guys in the whole movement saying, yeah, yeah. You put the computer chip in your brain and then we wipe you clean. We wipe your, your, uh, I guess, software. We wipe out, we wipe your memories. We wipe your uh, understanding of your ancestry. We wipe, it's a totally clean slate. Blank slate. And then we rebuild you. We remake you in, I guess, my image or whatever. I don't know. I don't know what image they make you of it. Now, Pol Pot tried year zero, but it didn't work because you can only kill so many people, you know? And also people can think for themselves. People can think for themselves eventually. But when you put a computer chip in your brain and this computer chip can wipe all your memories clean, it can brainwash you with propaganda that you can't even turn off. Because it's a computer chip in your brain. What do you do then? So I'm on the record as saying this is a really bad idea, this Neuralink. And I don't hear anyone making that claim. Maybe I'm just missing it. I think everyone's like, oh, neat. Or something. I don't I hear enough people be like, no, no. Really bad. We should like stop. We should just stop. Don't even proceed anymore with this. Like who could possibly think that this will end well? The computer chip in your brain. And then you throw in the globalist aspect of this too, right? That's what this Brian Johnson guy was talking about, this global citizen part, where you have no ancestors, you have no culture. We all just, we're just completely, you're, you're like all your roots, all your traditions, like everything is gone and you start with like that is the ultimate control. That's the ultimate form of control. Cause like let's say uh, let's say you get this thing. Which by the way, like unless you have a conviction against it, you will get it. Right? So and because they'll make you. It'll be like the the jab. It'll be like getting the vaccine. So uh let's say 
let's say you get the you get the uh, you get the Neuralink, right? And they wipe your they wipe your head clean, right? And then you're walking around and you stumble across a book uh, from Thomas Jefferson. Thomas, you read, there's a book and it has a Thomas Jefferson in it, a letter from Thomas Jefferson. And uh, you're reading, you're like, who's Thomas Jefferson? Your 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 head is clean, right? Your your software was wiped clean. You don't know who Thomas Jefferson. So you ask the internet in your brain, who's Thomas Jefferson? And they're like, no one. It's got like there's no Thomas Jefferson. It's nothing. It's just like blocked. Just like just like artificial intelligence will block certain videos from YouTube. You're just it's just like there's no Thomas Jefferson anymore. <laughs> so it's great. So this will be fantastic. That is what they're talking. I just played that clip. Elon Musk bragging about how they can put the computer chip in someone's brain, and then the main guy, transhumanism, saying we need to wipe everything clean, Generation Zero. And the craziest thing about all this, and this is what George Orwell never even imagined is that people would do this voluntarily. I won't. You'll have to kill me before you do it. But most people would do it voluntarily. I, I think I haven't read 1984 in a long time, but I think the opening scene is the main guy walking around his house trying to avoid the telescreen. There's like the computer screen inside uh, the guy's house, and he's trying to like get around it or trying to talk in a way that the, the screen can't hear him or something. I think that's the opening scene of the book. And uh, here we are, paying for amazon alexa we like we give amazon a hundred bucks we pay them to put the telescreen in our house we're gonna we're, we're gonna pay them to go and get the computer chip put in our brain and people will do it not, not it won't just be a few people vast majority of people will do this i, I firmly believe that whether voluntarily or uh, some sort uh, some sort of force and coercion it'll be like it'll be just like the vaccine Welcome back to Breitbart News Daily. Wonderful to talk to a friend of mine, Josh Hammer. Josh Hammer is the editor-at-large of Newsweek. He has a podcast, The Josh Hammer Show, and he just started a new podcast called America on Trial. America on Trial. It's all about the Donald Trump court cases and lawfare and trying to make sense of all these cases. Tons of them. Right? Every day there's a new trial, and I'm like, wait, which one's this? Oh, it's the Alvin Bragg trial. You're like, well, that doesn't help me. Who's he again? Oh, no, this, no, no, this is the, the Fannie Willis Oh, that's the Georgia one? Is that the... So it's hard to make sense of it all. Uh, but Josh is brilliant and uh, super articulate and really good at dumbing it down for me. So here's Josh Hammer. Mostly we talked about E. Jean Carroll here, but then we got into some Fourth Amendment and a little bit of the Georgia case as well. He's the senior editor-at-large at Newsweek, host of also the Josh Hammer Show. Uh, but Josh, congratulations on your new podcast here, man. Good to talk to you. Mike, it's always a pleasure, my friend. Thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for being here. Um, there's plenty of plenty of topics that you that you need cover on this podcast. I have to start with the Eugene Carroll one because I I don't know if this is the most um, you know damning against him or whatever, but I cannot believe that what I'm going to say is true. So please, please tell me I'm wrong. That you can accuse someone of rape, deny it, then be sued for defamation because you denied the accusation. There's no way that can be true. Unfortunately, Mike, it seems like in today's 
modern justice system, that is indeed true. And not only do you get that opportunity, but you apparently get multiple shots at the apple. So there were actually twin litigation tracks here from E. Jean Carroll. So to back up a little bit, story was in 2019, if, if the listeners recall, E. Jean Carroll comes out to the New Yorker, reliably liberal publication with these wild accusations of some incidents that may or may not have happened 25, 30 years ago in the dressing room of a Bergdorf Goodman off Fifth Avenue. And Trump correctly, as any decent man would do, as you're implying, as any decent man with a modicum of integrity in his fiber would do, denies it. And she sues twice. And the, the verdict came out for the first lawsuit earlier last year, around last May of, of 2023, for $5 million. And then the second one dropped just this past Friday, which is the truly, truly absurd one. This is entering the world of the Twilight Zone. This is the $83.3 million verdict. And to make that even worse, Mike, it's $18.3 million in compensatory damages and $65 million in punitive damages. So, so to break through the legalese there, compensatory damages is, is a standard form of damages in civil lawsuits. And that's what the jury assesses would be necessary to make the plaintiff whole again to restore him or her to the state before the underlying incident occurred. I, I have no idea how the jury even attempted to come up with $18.3 million here. I, I, I don't claim to understand why they think that E. Jean Carroll's reputation and her subjective uh, ability to not be insulted by Donald Trump is, is worth $18.3 million. But to add insult to injury, Mike, that's, that's $65 million in punitive damages that's truly absurd. Punitive damages, exactly what it sounds like. It's punitive. It is, it is a measure that courts put in simply to try to make a, an example out of someone to so strongly strike someone and to harm him or her so that no one will ever try to do so again. Fortunately for Donald Trump, Mike, and this is kind of my deep dive analysis on the first episode of my new podcast on Monday morning, Fortunately for Donald Trump, I like his chances on appeal here because punitive damages of this nature are really looked down upon by the United mm. States Supreme Court, especially when the ratio of punitive to compensatory damages, as is here, is over a three-to-one ratio. There's, there's a long line of Supreme Court cases, including a 1996 case called the BMW versus Gore, where, where the court has just repeatedly said, you, you really can't do this, that it, it actually risks being unconstitutional under the 14th Amendment due process clause. So I happen to like Donald Trump's chances there on appeal, which is hopefully a modicum of solace for everybody. Uh, the Atlantic headline, is $83.3 million enough to make Trump stop lying? Uh, so that that's the attack. Because I remember some, I saw some analysis afterwards, and it was the same thing. Is this enough to make him stop? Now, in that, in the the... the this is stop lying, this headline. But I, I heard someone say, is it enough to make him just stop? <laughs> and I thought, stop what? Exactly. I don't know. They just want him to stop. Who decided the $83 million? Is that the jury or the judge? Well, in this case, you're going you're gonna to have a jury who's going to go through the findings there. I mean, the judge is going to have to sign off on, on, on something of this nature there. Um, some, sometimes in trial, you, you do have you no know, jury. You do have just a judge. That is, um, unless I'm mistaken, that's what's happening actually in, in Tish James's civil lawsuit well, with, with respect to the Trump organization there in New York. Mm. You have Justice and Goron, Arthur and Goron is his name. So that is not a jury. That would just be a verdict straight from the bench. But here in the defamation case, 
um, this was this, this was a jury trial, and this is this is also in federal court, Mike, and that's an important distinction to make. The civil case involving New York Attorney General Tish James with respect to alleged fraud from the Trump Organization, which is a chilling, chilling case, a, a truly chilling case for anyone who has any aspirations to be an entrepreneur or start a small business. The fact that the power of the state could be used to try to accuse your organization of fraud simply because they don't like the way you appraised your property and secured bank loans. Absolutely nuts. But that's in state court. This E. Jean Carroll litigation is is in federal court, and that's that's an important distinction to make because the federal courts should, in theory at least, be be slightly fairer for for Donald Trump there. The, The state courts, especially the jury pools where you find these People from there are going to be a little more inherently biased against Donald Trump in these very blue jurisdictions like New York City, like in like in Fulton County, Georgia, with the Sonny Wills case. But at least in federal court, he's going to get his shot on appeal here. The U.S. Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit is the appeals court in New York State. It's not one of the more conservative appeals courts necessarily. Back in the day, I clerked for a year on the Fifth Circuit down in Texas, which is a reliably center-right appeals court. The Texas Circuit in New York is not bad, but but it's, it's going to be a lot fairer than if he were in state court there. It'll right. depend on the three-judge panel that he randomly draws, but I, I think he stands in decent shape there. Talking with Josh Hammer, uh, editor-at-large of Newsweek. He's got a new podcast with the first TV called America on Trial, where he talks about all these different court cases for the next year plus. Um, one last thing on the Eugene Carroll. I, I could not find any reporting so I don't know if you have it, like I don't know if it exists even at all, about the initial trial of E. Jean Carroll that where the jury found that Trump did in fact sexually assault her. They couldn't say that he raped her, but that he sexually assaulted her, which then led, like that justified the defamation case later, right? But the one thing I did learn that was interesting is that the only reason she was able to sue at all, because this was so far past the statute of limitations that happened in the 90s, she thinks, uh, is because of the whole Me Too thing and like New York opened up this window where you can sue past the statute of limitations, right? So, but but do you have any insight into the proof that a jur- the jury ne- had or needed in order to find Trump guilty of sexual assault in the first place? Well, so you're right, first of all, Mike. What you just said there is correct, that this was well past the, well past the, the underlying state crime statute of limitations, which is why E. Jean Carroll had to go this this civil route there. And then New York State did pass this law with the legislature there, with with Tish James and, and, and the whole clown brigade there in Albany, New York, leading the way. They passed this new law changing the statute of limitations on the civil side simply to allow lawsuits like this to proceed. I mean, I mean that's part of the underlying outrageousness of this, of this whole set of affairs, Mike, this whole sprawling lawfare apparatus, that when you look at people like Tish James, the Attorney General of New York, when you look at people like Alvin Bragg, the prosecutor in New York City, they explicitly on a Get Trump platform, which is borderline unconstitutional. I mean, we have very straightforward constitutional protections that prevent legislators from making laws targeting individuals. So it's not that far of a stretch to say that you can't run your, for office on a campaign of targeting an individual. But even if it's not unconstitutional, it's, it's certainly grossly immoral and patently un-American. Nonetheless, that's what they ran on anyway. And this law that you referenced where they changed the underlying statute, statute of limitations on the civil side, not the criminal side, 
would, would exactly be that. Now, as far as the evidence that was presented at that first trial where you had the $5 million verdict that was handed down last May, you know, it, it went down in, in the fairly standard manner, which an evidentiary hearing would, would, would go down there. But, you know, Mike, it's important just to underscore that when you're talking here about a he, he said, she said situation from, from 25, 30 years ago. These, these these are inherently, these are structurally not the kind of things that courts of law should be engaged in. That, this is the reason that statutes of limitation exist in the first place there. The fact that New York State went above and beyond, went out of its way to change the underlying statute of limitations on the civil, not the criminal, but the civil side, to allow this suit to proceed in the first place says all you need to know about the petty vindictiveness of the, of the legislators and the leaders there in New York State. This is E. Jean Carroll on Rachel Maddow's show the other day. Next to her is her lawyer, and I don't know who this other woman is, but here's E. Jean Carroll. You've talked about using some of Trump's money that you're about to get um, to help shore up women's rights. Do you know what that might be, what that might look like? Yes, or, Rachel. Or, yes. Tell me. I had such, such great ideas <laughs> for all the good I'm going to do with this money. First thing, Rachel... You and I are going to go shopping. We're going to get completely new wardrobes, new shoes, motorcycle for Crowley, new fishing rod for Robbie. Rachel, what do you want? Penthouse? It's yours, Nothing. Rachel. Penthouse and uh, France? You want France? You want to go fishing nope. in France? No? Oh, all right, all right. Okay. That's a joke. I love her lawyer next to her to be like, jo- joking. <laughs> Jeez. Um, Josh, we're talking with Josh Hammer, a uh, new podcast called America on Trial. Uh, go check that out, thefirsttv.com, uh, America on Trial, and everywhere else you listen to podcasts. Um, this Fannie Willis thing, so it's, again, it's hard to keep track of all this stuff. And I have not taken the time to keep track of the latest with, like, her boyfriend or something. So <laughs> what is the Fannie Willis one, and who's her boyfriend? So... You know, Mike, when the four prosecutions all came out last year, and it is it is very hard to keep track. That, by the way, is part of the whole reason that we're launching this this new podcast, America on Trial, where we're trying to do exactly that for you and keep you updated on the relevant deadlines and the timelines mm-hmm. and what's happening when and where and all that. So, when these four prosecutions dropped last year, and just to briefly reiterate that the four prosecutions. Again, there's civil lawsuits as well, but the four prosecutions are Alvin Bragg in New York City, there's Fonnie Willis in Georgia, and then the two federal indictments from Jack Smith in both Florida and Washington, D.C. Like many others, when this dropped last year, I thought that the Georgia case might be the most dangerous in the long term for, for numerous reasons. One is that Fulton County, Georgia is a very blue jurisdiction. That's Atlanta, Georgia. So you're going to have a very biased jury pool, one would imagine. Two is that the underlying statute that Bonnie Willis and Fulton County invoked to, to charge Trump and his dozen or two dozen other co-defendants is, is, is a RICO statute that's modeled on the federal RICO statute, but it is much broader. It's a sprawling statute that really allows a lot of prosecutorial leeway there and runway. And finally, this is, this, this is of course, a, a state crime that would not necessarily allow for you know, hypothetically, if Trump becomes president, for him to pardon himself. So I was actually quite worried. Mm. For Donald wait, wait, real quick. I don't want you to. I don't want you to jump over that. I feel like there's a turn coming, but I don't want you to jump over that last one. So again, uh, Trump, if he wins presidency, would not be able to pardon himself from a state prosecution. Correct. That would be correct as a matter of, of black letter constitutional law. Yes. Now, but now, 
you know, Mike, we're we're in our we're in uncharted waters here, right? I mean, we're we're literally facing legal questions that we've never faced before in this country. So, these are all new arguments. And you know, to be fair, I have seen some some other people, including some some very smart lawyers, make the argument that actually maybe he could. I you know, I saw Mark Levin make that argument on his radio show last summer, and then I saw Mike Lee, the great senator from Utah, actually say, you know, maybe Mark has a point here. I, I'm not I'm not really buying it to be honest with you. I think that it's a stretch. So I, you know, the, the most straightforward way for Trump to, to not go to jail in Fulton County, Georgia, would either be for that case to be dismissed for him to come out not guilty, or perhaps the most likely scenario is that, you know, hopefully he actually defeats Joe Biden this fall. And then because they would just feel so ridiculous about prosecuting someone who's literally sitting in the White House, the powers that be in Georgia would force their hand and ultimately shut this thing down. But Georgia, the prosecution there might actually shut down earlier than that, Mike. So you actually have an upcoming hearing in just a couple of weeks on, on Thursday, February 15th there in Georgia. There's an evidentiary, an evidentiary hearing about the Republicans in the Georgia State Senate's attempts to disqualify Fonnie Willis from this prosecution due to what you were just talking about, due to the fact that she seems to have in very corrupt and indeed outright scandalous fashion, appointed her illicit lover, Nathan Wade, to be the special prosecutor on this case, someone with whom she was not romantically engaged formally, but nonetheless was buying plane tickets and jetting off to all sorts of locations. And then to make matters worse, we recently found out just over the past week or so that Connie Willis and her DA's office in Fulton County, they were actually in direct contact with the Joe Biden White House Counsel's Office last year, which just underscores the collusive nature of this whole sprawling get Trump lawfare operation that many of us mm-hmm. have been sounding the alarm about for a very long time now. So we're coming up on, on, on a hearing in Georgia in front of a judge to discuss all these matters. Even based on the current timeline, Mike, the Georgia trial is actually not set to begin until August, which is pretty far out there. There's no way they're going to be able to get a verdict one way or the other, I don't think, in Georgia before the November election. That's assuming that this thing even proceeds in the first place. There's just a lot of questions there about misallocation of taxpayer resources, coordination with the Biden administration, and then this genuine sex scandal, if you will, involving her illicit lover, Nathan Wade, as well. Amazing. Um, So what's this hearing? and Who would decide to put the kibosh on this as it proceeds is it a state representatives would do that or would this judge in this hearing decide to stop this or something it'll it'll be the judge yeah it'll be yeah. the judge but the the, the the hearing is 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 being brought it's being it's being pursued by republicans primarily in in the state senate so just this past friday actually you had the georgia state senate that voted i think the vote was 30 to 19 they, they had a chamber-wide vote where they voted to create a special committee just to investigate Connie Willis, and that committee has subpoena power. So they're going to they're going to use their 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 own abilities there straight up in the legislature when it comes to the subpoena power. But as far as actually putting the kibosh on Connie Willis, that would come from from a state court there in Georgia. And the next hearing that we have there is on February 15th. Now it's it is worth caveating that Mike, it's not like this prosecution would would die overnight what what would actually happen technically speaking is if the judge were to deem that Fonnie willis herself is just too compromised is too corrupt has done xyz things and therefore she cannot 
pursue this prosecution. What would be more likely to happen is that the prosecution would then have the opportunity to go to a different county, which you know, raises all sorts of interesting questions. Where would it go? What district attorney would, would would take this on there? What does a jury pool look like? You know, recall that one of the yes. reasons that I and many others were concerned about this prosecution for Donald Trump was because Fulton County, which is again is Atlanta, Georgia, is a very blue jurisdiction, therefore a very biased anti-Trump jury pool. So, you know, uh, at, a, at a bare minimum, if Trump can get that thing moved out of Fulton County to maybe a more rural part of Georgia, you know, that's a relative win for him as well. And perhaps he might even be able at that point to get a move to the federal court, which would be definitely a win because the federal court system there in Georgia would be under the U.S. Court of Appeals for the 11th Circuit, which is not a right-wing court, but it's a center-right court. So uh, either way, things could shortly look a little bit better in Georgia for Trump than they currently do. The county just north of Fulton, if I'm not mistaken, maybe it's too north of Georgia, of Fulton, is uh, Cherokee County, and Trump won that 78%. In 2020. <laughs> so that would be uh, a much better county to be in. Um, Josh, we'll let you run, but what's the next court thing for Donald Trump? Well, we have some hearings just this week, Mike. Um, in fact, today there are, there are some deadlines at the U.S. Supreme Court when it comes to when it comes to uh, the, the, the 14th Amendment ballot access question. That's another yes. issue that we're going to be tracking closely on my new podcast there. This is the question as to, as to whether the so-called insurrection clause of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment can disqualify Donald Trump from the ballot. So we have a, a, a deadline in the Supreme Court today when it comes to that litigation, when it comes to briefing. We're expressing an, a, a, an upcoming oral argument there at the Supreme Court that, that, that is set actually very soon. It's set just for... For, for next Thursday, I believe, February 8th. So that's coming up really soon. That's, that's a major, major, major high-profile ruling, accepting a, a, a major ruling there that hopefully will affect the whole country. And then we're accepting a possible decision when it comes to Justice and Goron and Tish James's fraud fishing expedition. That could potentially come as soon as this week, probably next week at the latest. That could be a, a, a huge blockbuster as well. It, it's a chilling, chilling fishing expedition, but Tish James is seeking up to $370 million in damages. So that's, you know, that in and of itself makes it newsworthy. We talked the other day to Gene Scherer, who did the, is it an amicus brief? Is that the right word for this? Yeah. Um, regarding the 14th Amendment. And his argument is 14th Amendment Clause 3 no person shall be a senator or representative in Congress or elector of president and vice president or hold any office civil or military under the United States who has previously engaged in insurrection. And everyone's focused on the did Trump engage in insurrection. And his argument is it specifically does not say president. It's a senator, Congress, elector, not president. Do you agree with that argument? I strongly agree with that argument. In fact, I saw former U.S. Attorney General and federal judge Michael McCasey make that same argument in the Wall Street Journal in September. It was a very persuasive op-ed. I read it and immediately was nodding my head. I said, this is exactly right. And, you know, Mike, a bit of a bit of a bit of a shameless plug that, you know, I, I, I plan on advancing that exact sort of argument on my brand new podcast, America, oh! because it, it, it's actually it, it, it's a highly persuasive argument. Now, I, I actually think that the insurrection argument fails on probably three or four different grounds. Um, <laughs> sure. But 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 yes, this is let's start from the first those. sentence of it. Yeah. Josh Hammer. He is the editor at large of Newsweek, Josh Hammer show podcast. But now we got the new podcast, America on trial. How often are you going to have episodes? 
America on Trial is going to be a daily podcast. We're going to nice. have it out to you by mid to late morning every day. Oh, that's beautiful. Okay, I'll be listening. Josh, appreciate you, man. You bet. Anytime. Talking. Appreciate you. Uh, so this is going to be connected with the first TV as well. There's a bunch of different uh, podcasts with the first TV, um, and and this will be one of the big ones there. So that's awesome. So Josh is great. America on Trial. You can find it anywhere you listen to podcasts, and you can go to thefirsttv.com. As well, the President's Daily Brief is up there, which I don't know if it's still the number one podcast on Spotify, but it was for a while, which is pretty incredible. Uh, and then my podcast is there too, called uh, Politics by Faith, among others, thefirsttv.com. And we're simulcasting the, the radio show here right now on thefirsttv.com. You can go, go to thefirsttv.com and go watch the show right now. And you can watch it also on DirecTV Channel 347 and Roku and what else? Pluto and the first TV app as well. It's all there, and I'm grateful that you are here. I'm American made. I got American parts. I got American hey, thanks for listening to Breitbart News Daily today. On tomorrow's show, it's Thursday, so Dr. Sebastian Gorka will be here. I want to do a follow-up. I, th- I think we need one on all the AI stuff. Uh, and we will be watching the Senate hearing today that Marsha Blackburn, we talked to her today, Senator Blackburn will be a part of at the Senate Judiciary Committee with all the big tech CEOs. And we'll see if they can get the uh, president of Harvard treatment, <laughs> get them on the defense for uh, not protecting our kids. So we got lots to do tomorrow. Hope you can join us then. I'm in love with her and I won't apologize.